It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. Fired up for today. We got one of our best pals and friends, comrades in arms. Straight, This is a guy you definitely want to go to war with because when it comes to building fun, when it comes to building like absolute, like straight up raw testosterone with wheels, this guy does it all day Er day, as the kids say. Er day, man. This dude's amazing, man. <laughs> I love this dude. Oh, man. This is one of the few men I actually go up man hug. I'm like, come here, you. I can't even say that on our podcast. You man hug all the guys, uh, <laughs> uh, man. <laughs> uh, he's awesome, man. We got to uh, experience firsthand a little bit of what this guy can build, but more important, the whole style that he brings to, you know, these type cars. Yeah, he's on another level of fun factor. And just making things happen. So Dave Smith, Factory 5 Racing, uh, long history with Dave. It's been an awesome journey because uh, every time you turn around, it's something fun and exciting and new, and the guy never stops in his, let's say, repertoire of cool things that you can get from Factory 5 just continues to grow and continues to set the bar. And if you step back and think about it for a minute, you know, Dave's essentially in kind of the kit car business, right? Whether it's the the Roadster, you know, a lot of people think it looks like a Cobra. I don't know what they're talking about. You know, the Daytona Coupe, you know, the, the 33, just so many lineups. Um, there aren't very many successful folks out there, right? That is a tough, no. tough business, but he seems to just flourish. And there's so many, I think, elements that go into it. You know, what he chooses to bring to market, how he does it, the relationships he builds, the community that he builds, it makes the whole thing just a riot and fun and people want to be a part of it. Hey, you know what, man? He, he's the only guy who's got the picture of his cars and him on my, my own son's walls right now. Everything else is like, there's a couple Dodge things, there's a few you know Mopar things, kitty characters and whatever, and then there's the Factory 5 poster signed by Dave, a shot of me and him, uh, and the school is one of the coolest like things. It's up there, man, he loves it. He's like, cool car, cool car, cool car. <laughs> Dave's got the approval of your two-year-old. Man. Yeah, that says man. a lot right there. Absolutely, man, no doubt. Um, it's, it's funny because everybody, I feel like, I, I really do feel like Factory 5 is sort of the benchmark of comparison. Now, it may or may not be. I bet Dave would argue that it absolutely is. Um, but, you know, when I look at cars, especially these replicas, I, I tend to look at, you know, how the car handles, you know, see what people think about it. Uh, the fact that he gets in and shows you um, a lot of the aspects of how this car is designed, built, the architecture behind it. Um, man, it really does open avenues for a lot of people to really show off their own persona in the car uh, and really feel differently about the car when it's all done. Because we all know if you get the opportunity to build something, turn wrenches, be a part of your own car, which you then in turn go out, you know, and have a blast and make memories in, Man, there is no way you are ever leaving that car. That car is with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, think about the satisfaction you get just from mowing your yard. You, you, you put the mower in, and you look out, it's all, you know, you see all the lines, and you're like, oh, yeah. Well, just magnify that by 10 bazillion. You know, when you build yeah. your own ride. Now, and there's a big difference between, because there's a lot of us that love the old muscle cars. We love restorations. We love doing, you know, upgrades, the pro touring and whatnot. Um, but there's a massive difference in, let's say, building one of these type cars uh, versus trying to do that in the sense that you're going to end up with a incredibly well-engineered machine, right? When you go into this project, the map is already there and you can customize it and tailor it to your taste. But at the end of the day, you're going to get something that rivals just about anything 
uh, you could ever buy for, you know, multiple times the, the money that you would spend. And you think about taking an old car and all the work and the restoration, the greasy parts, the rusted parts, all that stuff. Now you still got to figure out, you know, your upgraded brakes and your powertrain and your this and your that. And at the end of the day, you're going to have something wickedly cool. But I guarantee if you go head to head, it ain't going to be nothing like building one of these super well-engineered uh, kit cars. It's awesome. And again, you can do it yourself. It takes a lot less skills, time, and equipment to end up with something that arguably could be, you know, better. We you know it's like, man? It's like taking a block of wood and saying, you know, cut a car out of this and I want every detail, you know, explicit on it. Or you get the model kit like you did when you were a kid and everything just unsnaps and you put it all together. Whammy, bammy, boom, there it is. Everything's ready there. You just got to put the pieces together and learn a little bit about it. Uh, Dave Smith, the man behind Factory 5, comes at us next. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we're back after the break. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we got Dave Smith from Factory 5. This guy is absolute fun. Like, man... A lot of guys you meet in the business, you know, they like it. They enjoy it. This guy lives it, bro. He eats it for breakfast. Um, this guy gets up in the morning and sketches cool cars on cereal boxes. And I'm talking like yesterday, not when he was a kid. Um, Dave, what's up, man? Welcome to the podcast, bro. How you been? You know, life is good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back. And uh, you guys are crazy. You're always doing something different with cars and you know, we're lucky we get to make a living doing it. So, you know, we're both kind of kindred spirits here. Well, this is kind of a, a, yeah, a, a cool moment because if we flash back two and a half years ago, you were the number two uh, on our podcast list uh, at SEMA, uh, I think with Joey Logano, NASCAR racer. Fun. Yeah. Uh, so you you essentially kind of was part of our kickoff for the podcast series here. So two and a half years later, and I don't know how many hundreds that we've got out. Uh, it's great having you back on, man. Well, that was fun. I remember that podcast because Logano wanted to put a cup motor in a hot rod. He's like, well, the chassis handle. I'm like, hell yeah, the chassis will handle it. You know, will you handle it? So he gets in the car. If you look at Logano's website, he was just in uh, Auto Week and he was interviewed. He's got like 70 cars. I've seen some of his collections. He's got a great collection. Top 10 cars of Logano. His number one favorite car is his 35 hot rod drift truck factory five. So cup motor yep. in a hot rod. It's a kill. And he did a drift video with Vaughn Gittin. And the, the hot rod truck stole the show. I mean, the Mustang's awesome. Everybody loves it, right? But then you see this old vintage truck with NASCAR slicks on it, drifting sideways to the mountains of North Carolina. It was bad, eh? <laughs> now, I got to ask you, man. Uh, you've got quite the lineup, right? You've got the the Cobra replica. Uh, you've got the 33 Roadster. you got the Speed Start out now. The 35 truck, the Daytona Coupe, the GTM. And you got a couple of 818, actually. And a couple yep. more that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Uh do you have a favorite or favorites for, for any number of reasons for the time period of when you were you know involved with them and executing them and things that were happening or the style or just anything? What are some of your favorites and why? You've got quite a collection here, so you could come at this thing from any angle. It's an easy question, but uh, you know, a lot of times your favorite is the mistake you made. And if you look at Factory 5, my brother <laughs> and I were drinking some beers, we sold some Cobra replicas, and we and the and the company took off. And the next car we were going to make, what are you going to make, right? Well, we had a slot car set when we were kids, a Cobra and a Daytona Coupe. They made six original Daytona Coupes. So we figured we'll make a replica. Maybe we'll sell six or ten of them, right? We've sold 900 of them. And the Daytona Coupe has become a really good seller. We 
we just launched a couple of years ago our Gen 3. And we, we did an all new space frame. We road raced it with NASA. We really dialed it in. And now it's uh, eligible for FIA racing in uh, uh, USRC, not USRC, FIA. And, uh, and that's in Malaysia Supercar Series. And now it's eligible for Trans Am. I got two teams that are looking at running it in Trans Am in 2023. So it's a good car. It's a capable race car, but by far my favorite. If I'm going to a track, maybe I'm getting old. I don't like these open cars anymore with wheels coming down on top of you. Um, I just want a cage around me and a coupe and the thing can handle great speed. I did a, a demo day at VIR a couple, three years ago. I took customers around 175 miles an hour on the track and I could be eating a sandwich. That's how well it handles the speed. So that's my favorite car, the Daytona coupe. I'm, I'm going to lean with you on that, man. Those are pretty sweet. That's way high up there on my list. W Willie, do you have kind of one that jumps out at you? I mean, obviously, if you're you're online, you see his trucks, you see what he's doing there. Um, he's got to me one of the coolest bodies. Um, it's the uh, you know the the car shaped after the Grand Prix, the um, the one that's got the sharp drop in the back. It looks similar to that Jaguar I was telling you about. It's got the bubble top. The Daytona, yeah, coupe, same car. Yeah, Daytona coupe. Yep. Oh, that's the yeah. Yeah, they can get out of my car, man. That's my Kool Aid. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man, dude, I'm telling you that uh, that car to me is the baddest, nastiest, coolest thing you guys put together. It's just, it's everything you want out of car design, styling, engine. I'm sure it handles, like you said, unreal. Taking people down a straightaway at 175. I, I got to get one of those off the bucket list, man, in in the garage. Well, it's got it's got arrow. How was the arrow that they designed in back then in today's kind of you know? Obviously, it's not going to be Ferrari style with splitters and wings and underbodies, but um, relative to a Cobra, I'm sure it's still pretty excellent. Well, the Cobra's a brick turd, right? And it goes flying yeah. through the air because it has all the horsepower. But, you know, as we got into the modern age, you know, in the 60s, it's talking about drag. So they, they weren't really looking at downforce as much as they look at drag. They didn't have the horsepower. Nowadays, you know, Willie knows the horsepower wars. Um, we've got horsepower to bleed off. So we can use wings and downforce and things that really weren't prevalent in the early 60s. So they were looking at a car that would just punch a hole in the wind, in the wind and not have tremendous lift. Um, when we did the original Daytona, we started racing with it and had a very original body. Um, but I worked on the Gen 3 um, with Pete Brock and we ended up not working together because Pete wanted more uh, roof line, more streamlined, like a teardrop. And, and Pete is an aerodynamicist mm. and that's why the car yeah. was so successful in the 60s. And I was like, well, Pete, and we kind of came to came to loggerheads on it because I didn't really necessarily care about, you know, slipstream, low drag. I cared about downforce wings and the, and the look and stance of the car. So we added a little more shoulders to it, a little more aggressive stance. If you look at our car versus the original car, I think our car looks better, but it's still, you know, made in, in, the, in the idea of the original car, which was a bad A race car only. So we're barely a street car with plates on it. <laughs> Willie, it'd be a daily driver for him. Hey, Most guys, it's pretty extreme. I, I think he I think he nailed it though, because I mean, when kind of came into the introduction segment here, you know, talking about the success of your company, you gotta keep all those factors in mind. Right? So you Absolutely. can't just get hyper focused on, oh, I want the slipperiest old car in the world. You know? It's a Right, it's in the modern day, and people have to be excited about it. They have to think it's sexy. It's got to look good. It's got to pop. You know, they want to personalize it. They want to own it and live in it. So to make some little trade-offs like that for it to look awesome with barely the tiniest bit of one mile an hour at the top end, kind of thing. Uh, those are the kind of things I think you do. You do really well. Well, I wish you could get an inside view because that's the stuff that we obsess over. 
And you can call it value engineering, where you're taking a whole bunch of vectors, you're trying to make a whole bunch of people happy. I can tell you, if a customer comes up with an idea on the car, we've already mashed it out 20 times. And, and, and that's what, you know, everybody gives me a lot of credit for the company. Jim Skank, who's in charge of R&D, is one of the most gifted, talented designers slash engineers in mechanical engineer out of Rensselaer, smart, smart guy, a road racer, a car designer. He gets to put that value engineering package together because we got to make it affordable, high performance. It's got to look good. It's got to be buildable. There's so many vectors that come together and we've got a good team and that's what we obsess over. I mean, obsessed, you know? Bro, there had to be a few oh wow moments, a few moments that surprised you and the team that were holy moments that were big wow moments where you knew you had something in the engineering the styling the design uh the performance like give us a couple examples of those those moments where a and b came together and you guys were like oh that's exactly what i'm talking about that's what we wanted um in some of your builds because i know you and your guys had to have some some big hurdles to get over we had some yeah we did 2008 2009 the world fell off the cliff remember the financials um our sales yeah. for Cobras and Daytona Coupes, that's all we had at the time. We had a new GTM, but sales fell off a cliff. And I had a new car, the 33 Hot Rod. And Jim begged me. He said, I can make a hot rod. I had driven hot rods, and they drove like crap. And I'm a performance guy. If it doesn't drive like a proper sports guy, I didn't want to do it. And Jim said, the chance we had to take is, is a guy going to build them back at the time? If it's a 32, it's, it's a, an original frame, high boy, 32. We wanted to go with an all-modern space frame, cantilevered front suspension, independent rear, four-link, three-link from our racers. Would people buy that hot rod? I put so much money in inventory. I, I put it on the table, and then the economy fell off the cliff. Had we not gotten – talk about an oh-wow moment. In 2009, we launched this hot rod behind me, and we sold 100 hot rods our first year. And that's at twenty grand a kit, so $2 million in sales our first year. When if I didn't have that hot rod, we wouldn't be having this conversation because I'd be working at Taco Joe's down the street, but I'd have a badass car. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so we, the hot rod was a surprise, and it was a big risk because it was a non-standard chassis. The body was a little stylized. I think it was better than the original, but we didn't know if people would take that because there's like the Cobra. They want that four-inch round tube original frame, right? So there's some things you just can't go too far away from the original on, but on the hot rod, we let go of the side of the pool, and we just started swimming and. Thank God we didn't drown. We we swam all the way across. Yeah, that was pushing. That was so awesome, pushing man. the limits there on on the tradition, right? Um, we didn't know how it would sell either. Well, and and that's the gamble. Are you going to attract the typical buyer? Or are you going to attract a completely new buyer? You know that kind of had aspirations, but to your point, you know, never said, "Oh, I don't want to own one of those because they drive like yep. you know, like." So you gave them a new product with a new configuration on it. But like you said, quite a gamble, quite a gamble and hopefully a big win, man. When was, when was the first um, like toast to that car behind you? Like, like the day you opened up, they went online. Uh, how many sold? Was it the first month, the first week? When was that first toast where you're like, we got something? Yeah, 2008, we went to SEMA. We had one of our hot rods. Um, we had uh, a hot rod in Ford's booth and we had a hot rod in our booth. And we took pre-orders. And I think we had like 62 pre-orders and it was only a hundred dollar deposit, wow. but I knew it was a hit. And, you know, the best news was, you know, I guess, remember there used to be World War II fighter pilots that says the best feeling in the world is having someone shoot at you and miss. <laughs> the best feeling in business is having it all risk and not go out of business, you know? So right, that was right. <laughs> good feeling. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, the dream is free. The hustle so separately, bro. I say it well, all the time. Yeah. 
uh, Dream Free Hustle Sold Separately, man. All right, so look, uh, we got to take a break, but a couple things to ask you when we come back. One, um, when people think about Factory 5 in your mind, what are they, think, what are they thinking about? Um, you got to tell us about the, the build part of, of what you do. We haven't really sort of got into that, how people can, can learn so much about their own car and why it's unique to you guys. And uh, another thing, where is Factory 5 five years from now? All things to think about. We're going to take a break. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. We're back in just a minute. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we have Dave Smith, Factory 5 Race Cars. You got to look these things up, man. Honest to God. You see these cars all over. You know what? You're jealous every time you see them. You don't have to tell me. I'm jealous when I see them. And I own some cool damn cars. <laughs> um, Dave, when we left, uh, we asked you a few things, man. Um, a, you know, where are you guys going to be down the road five years out, which I know Kevin's excited to talk to you about. Um, but a couple, you know, a couple of the other things is, you know, you're fortunate, man, because you guys can move and pivot so quickly and so fast when you see and, and have an idea, man, you guys can make that run. Whereas big companies and corporations don't have that luxury. And, and I know there's been those, those times where you risk it all and, and, you know, you just sort of defined one. When was that toast thereafter? When was the, you know, when you had that order, 62, did you guys come home? Like, what is our next car? How fast did it, was it before you designed something else? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, the hot rod by the middle of 2009, we knew we had a home run. And shoot, I mean, we're coming up on a thousand hot rods we built. So, yeah, that one, that was a, that was a win on the win box, you know? Nice, and hopefully that uh, momentum will just no kind of keep man. carrying you. And and the experiences that you get. Did, do you have any quick, like, like really wow, kind of on the other end of the spectrum lessons learned? Like, oof, you know. Uh. Don't make a mid-engine car. <laughs> ah, okay, all right. You put that engine out in the wind, and it does great, right? You put it right six inches behind your noodle, and it's going to be loud and hot. And uh, that's good for some things, but not for cars. So, you know, right now, the mid-engine car is taking a lot of tech. Our GTM, it's a great car. I love it. But, you know, you think about a business and a flagship like our new F9. It's all about looks and attracting people and showing off your latest technology or abilities like what we're doing right now with the carbon fiber bodies. You know, we've really got a good handle on carbon. Um, but at the same time, if you, uh, if you look at what you're making on a supercar or on a halo car, um, you don't make a lot of money. It's mostly for image. Um, so we've got to balance both. You can, you know, the, the owner can build what he wants to build for a little while, but you got to pay the bills too. So you have to balance those two things. So the GTM was our halo car. We've got a new one coming out. We talked about the F9 last time, um, designed by Phil Frank, who designed the Selene S7. Uh, it's been delayed because I didn't like the nose and I get to change, I get to change my mind and say, I don't like the nose. It's too big. So we're, we're changing the front end of the car. We went to the wind tunnel. We got a little bit too much lift out of the car. Um, so, you know, these supercars, that's, it's, it's not a mistake. It's a lesson. Uh, I think Sterling Moss said in racing, you want to make a little bit of money in racing, start with a lot. You want to make a little bit of money in hypercars, <laughs> start with a lot. So it's been, it's been three or four years now on that project, but still it's close to my heart. We're going to do it. Um, we do something better every day, but yeah, the hypercars would be, image and and excitement and showing off your technology but maybe not you know paying your bills and i was gonna ask you you know because i was really excited to get back uh, a little bit of updates on the on the uh, f9 uh but 
Yeah, what did you learn from the GTM? Because clearly they're slightly different platforms and having lived with a GTM for a number of years now, you've got to have you know taken a bunch of notes that says, okay, next time around. Because any, any, you know, any builder, any engineer is always, as soon as they get to the end of the page, they're like, oof, all right, next time I'm gonna, you know? So um, kind of interesting to hear the, the, the mid-engine thing, which is kind of the holy grail for, you know, decades sure. and decades of, you know, what to go after in a car, but even see, you know, modern Ferraris, uh, a lot of them still have the, you know, the front engine uh, Corvettes, you know, for forever, sure. still had the transaxle to get the weight balance. Uh, and it's like you said, it's it's all these trade-offs to try to get, you know, the final thing to come together. Uh, and, and people don't think about what you're trading off when you move things around like that. Well, I think the frame of reference is different now. Cars are so fast that it used to be, you know, a front-engine grand touring car never had that exotic appeal of a mid-engine car. And so one of the things I've done well at Factory 5, I hired smart guys, and then I give them these ridiculously impossible design goals. What I did with the F9 is I said, Jim, design me a front-engine exotic. And then you won't find one out there. Aston Martin was our benchmark. They did the Vulcan, and that was a, an exotic front-engine car. And if you look at it, they use kind of like the early 90s Chrysler cab forward design where they bring the canopy all the way forward in a front-engine car looks like a mid-engine car. That's why I want to cut that nose down because I still think it looks too much like a Viper Corvette. I need that shorter Audi R8 mid-engine kind of stance on the front, but we're working on it. Um, I think, though, that most mid-engine hypercars are so much – I drove a Ferrari F8, twin-turbo, 750 horse. It is above most people's ability to drive. Um, it's so fast that – if we say, hey, the drawbacks of a front-engine Grand Touring design, um, there's no more drawbacks anymore. Our Daytona Coupe is so fast around the track, we're running Trans Am times with a car you build yourself. So we knew that with the mid-engine car, if we left that behind because it's complex, it's hard to make, a lot of tech support to support the GTM, if we left that mid-engine platform, went to a front-engine platform, Jim's challenge is can he make an exotic-looking front-engine car? And that's and by the way, we might fail at that. That's the that was the design goal. And I think Jim's got it, but it's it's scary because we put a lot of money into it. And and if it ends up looking but ugly, you know, no one's going to buy it. And we know it's going to be fast. But, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of, you know, kind of conflicting vectors. Hey, man, put a picture of puppies on it. Everybody want to play with it. Um, <clears throat> hey, I, and I got a question for you, man. Um, <clears throat> you know, with all the things you've been venturing into, um, where were you going to be, you say, in five years? You look back, you obviously learned from your mistakes, you know, trial and error, some error. That's my life, trial and error, mostly error. Um, <laughs> but learning what you have and looking forward um, in the next three to five years, where do you see Factory 5 at? Well, you know, when uh – I always look back in 2008, 2009, because the lessons we learned on cash flow and managing your cash and being responsible, you know, boy, oh boy, if we didn't do that, we wouldn't be here. So I always have to kind of look at, you know, down the road, what are we doing today? And, you know, make hay while the sun shines, be smart, reinvest in the company. No matter what, we want to constantly reinvest the company. I always feel like across the street is someone who's doing it better than me. And if I don't do it better than me now, someone else will. So every day is a battle to do something better. Well, I heard the magic word Hemi um, was somewhere in the Factory 5 equation nowadays. Um, that's what I'm talking about. Can, can you explain why a Hemi is now associated with the Factory 5 cars? Please. Yeah, everybody knew us. Yeah, they knew us as a Ford shop, right? And then we came out with a GTM. We had a GM platform. But we really never got into the Mopar stuff. And if you look at aftermarket, not just trucks. I mean, look at what happened with Dodge trucks in the last 10 years, right? Um, 
the Hemi aftermarket, that, that 392 crate motor is such a sweetheart. And Dodge has really come out of the muscle car scene, right? So we wanted to reward those, those customers. And where are you going to throw that engine? You're not going to put in a Cobra. That's moniker Ford, right? Daytona Coupe. The GTM was kind of GM-based. You know, if you're building a hot rod, it's a small block Chevy or Ford. Nobody cares. A, 30, a 33 Ford and a 33 Chevy were a grill apart, right? But yeah. where's that Mopar fit? We bought that Speedstar from uh, George Long at Rats Glass. And I was telling you earlier, you know, George made all the bodies for Bobby Alloway's car. And, and the, the Speedstar won the Riddler Award in 2001 or 2002. Uh, very beautiful design. And I was like, okay, the design's pretty, but I need something really different inside. So we engineered it with the Hemi drivetrain. So the right now the 392, and we it's that's a, a mighty, mighty little motor, and it's only 10 grand. It's less than 10 grand. I think it's like 8,500 and change. And in today's Sick. horsepower wars, you're getting 500 horsepower for under 10 grand. That's a that's a bargain. And the and the torque curve on that is wicked, man, because the torque curve real early and, and stays real late. And uh that's gotta be fun in that in that chassis. It is. It's actually really usable power. Like we have Ford's 5.2 Illuminator. It's the cross-plane crank. It's got, you know, heads of the Voodoo engine. It's a 580 horse motor. But when that thing comes on, it's almost too much motor for a Cobra, a 2,100 pound car. And, and it really does come on like, like secondaries. I mean, from 5,000 RPM on, it's a screaming beast. And below that, it doesn't have, really have the torque. And But I love the motor. I just think it's getting to be a little bit too much for for the car that doesn't have the aero and the high speed capabilities. Whereas that Hemi has got a great linear power band and it doesn't run out of steam. It doesn't nose over the top, but it's got good grunt down low. Like I said, the only thing I didn't like about it was it just runs a little hot, you know? Well, I think you need to do is, is get one of those things up here to Detroit area, visit by Auburn Hills and show, you know, Chrysler, Stellantis, what they should have done on that Prowler so many years There's ago. There's a Prowler. Right? Oh yeah, dude, yeah. no doubt. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, Chris Theodore, you know, he left, he left a long time ago, but he was the guy that kind of made those decisions. He still lives up here. So you could hit both the headquarters at Chrysler and maybe do a drive-by and do a burnout in his, in his uh, driveway. Hey, I'll go with you, man. We'll TP their house. We'll straight up <laughs> TP their house. I don't care if there's a TP shortage. We'll get him, man. That was an epic failure. Ugh. Hey, Kevin, Chris Theodore's quote affected me a lot in 2007 when we were designing the hot rod. He said a great hot rod would be a modular motor, a space frame, modern suspension, low and fast. And it's kind of what we built. So his quote was, I think he said that in Hot Rod Magazine in 2007. Smart guy. Yeah, he's a smart guy. That one got away from him. But he, he's made up for it since. He's had a few winners. <laughs> he's had a few winners. Uh, and that one was close, but not quite. But I'm, I'm going to shift gears here, guys, because uh, I don't want to run out of time and get kind of a little inside scoop on what's going on Factory 5 uh, in the pipeline. I, I, you've, you've teased us a little bit. Uh, you said you might let a little bit of the cat out of the bag today. Uh, can we talk about? No, we'll, we'll unveil it at, at our open house. It'll definitely be at SEMA. Uh, and we've got a great booth at SEMA right between Edelbrock and Holly. Um, so SEMA is going to be the official, you know, debut of the car. We'll have a couple different uh, versions. But, you know, I said to Jim in engineering and, and Jesper, I said, guys, and these guys have been engineers with me for 25 years. I said, we need a different car. We can't do another build-it-yourself two-seater sports car. We got to we gotta go. Look, I mean, if you can't find a two-seater build-it-yourself car, you need a hot rod truck, a 33, a Speedstar, a Cobra, a Daytona Coupe, a GTM, an 818, build it with Subaru running gear, Chevy. We got all these categories, but <laughs> they're all build-it-yourself two-seater sports cars. Now, 
in uh, 2008 to 2000, well, till recently, we invested in a company called Local Motors. And their first car was called the Rally Fighter. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that car. Um, it was a low volume car. The company failed, but they had two of our engineers and, and the Rally Fighter was on Leno's uh, garage. Uh, Local Motors only made about 50 or 100 of them. And our team did the chassis, but they made so many mistakes along the way. The company ultimately went out of business. But I was like, damn, you know, I, I, I got my eye on a desert pre-runner, right? Now, the Rally I Fighter... I remember those cars, man. Yeah, I totally... I just Googled them up. Yep. Yeah, now, now the, the, local, the Local Motors car, I don't think they... They didn't do it right. It was, it was not integrated right. I like the F-150. I got a, a Ford Raptor. And I said to Jim, I said, give me a Raptor on steroids. But I'm not talking about a pre-runner with, with cake decorators, just some fender panel kits and a lift kit, but it still has a leaf spring rear. I mean, a full-on desert pre-runner, something that has 20 inches of suspension travel. Well, how are you going to get 20 inches of suspension travel? You're not going to on a stock frame. We got to make our own frame. Well, that's what we do. So we're designing and launching a build-it-yourself yes. pre-runner. But it's not a fender kit. Yes. Oh, yeah. It is a nasty. Take a, take a Ford Raptor, all right, and then, you know, have it have rabies and have it, you know, get uh, – <laughs> it's, it's out of control, rabid dog, and then jack it up with a bunch of steroids. And so what we're going to launch at our open house and we're going to show the world is basically a tube frame to replace the ladder frame. We're going to use the cab, already have one in the back, and I drove it last night with my kid, beating it up on the parking lot. Jim's doing – Arrow testing, and I'm talking about arrow meaning up in the air, arrow, not drag and drag. It's NASA launch pad testing. You gotta get that that jump bias right, you know, so it's not toe heavy. So many are 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 toe heavy, man. They nosedive so bad when you get big arrow in them. Well, think about think about the Ford F-150 platform. It's a dynamite truck. It's got the Coyote motor. The whole aftermarket is waiting to put a blower on it and get 700 horse out of it, right? Um, they made five million of them between 2015, the aluminum body, so they don't corrode. Um, they made 850,000 to a million a year, right? For five years, for sure. And they're still making them today. They got the twin turbo six and the five liter coyote. So we're using the 20 to 2015 to current, well, to 2020, uh, F-150. We're taking the cab and we're taking it off the frame. We're throwing away the, the, the bed and we're throwing away the front fenders and hood. We're giving you carbon fiber or fiberglass front fenders and hood that are 91 inches wide, like an AM Hummer. Gen 1 Hummer, right? Uh, H1. And uh, we're going with um, flared in the back. All the stuff that's so hard, air conditioning, stereo, VIN number, no kit car registration, all you just get in it and drive it. But you got to take the cab off and replace the frame with our frame. Fox shocks that are the size of my leg. Um, suspension travel. My Raptor tops out about 14 inches. Right now, we're getting about 14 to 16 inches front. Because it's still transferred, it's still got the CVs from, from the Ford and still got four-wheel drive. But in the back, we get 20 inches of travel, 37, 38-inch tires. It is a beast. I sent Kevin some top-secret photos, and uh, we're, we'll show it off at our open house. But it's a running, driving prototype. Now we're building tooling, and the goal is to have them at SEMA and be in production before we get to SEMA in November. Fantastic. Yes. Wow. Totally you guys different direction. First, right here. Yes, it is. And I love it. I, I tell you, um, you know, being at Ford for so many years, you know, back we had the lightning truck. It was a sports truck, right? Slammed and lowered. Uh, and that seemed like that's 
kind of about what you can do in in the OE world with the truck. You sell it as a you know a, a useful vehicle, or you slam it on the ground and have some fun and do burnouts. Uh, and then they came out with the Raptor and blew everybody's mind. And it's been just a raging hit. And to see to take that concept and take it to you know three levels above, right? Twenty <laughs> inches of travel on a tube chassis, like. Man, Stud, I'm just, bro. I'm fired Stud. up. I am fired it's up. It's also our best work. I mean, we've been doing this for 27 years, and we've got a mature staff. We've got great partners in SolidWorks software, HP computers. we got great partners in Coney Shocks. we got great partners. We're going with Fox Shocks. And uh, we've got we've got just great corporate partners and a lot of maturity. And, and Jim and his engineering team have done such an amazing job. It's a beautiful truck, and it's nasty, and it's uh, – I mean, it's capable of jumping air at 80 miles an hour going over whoops in the desert. And what's next for us is all learning. We got to go to King of Hammers. We got to go to Baja. Yeah. You'll see it. And I I love telling you guys about it first because you guys are the real deal. You live the lifestyle, you build the cars, you drive the cars. You know, Kevin, from an engineering standpoint, there's not an engine you don't know. I had a Ford Lightning truck. I loved it. You know, a 351 in that motor, putting nitrous on it. Yeah, the old one. Yes, we're ended up at the bottom. Yes, yeah. we ended up at the bottom of a ravine after going too fast with a trailer. They weren't very good at trailering. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, they were not designed for that yeah. after, oh, yeah. after those mods. Oh, oh man. It, man. Oh, guys, I, I can almost hear, like, you know, all the podcast listeners' brain just sizzling out there, you know? Like, no, nah, man, it's not sizzle, bro. That's us trying to figure out how to tell their wives we got to order one. I, I was just thinking, uh, you know, I'm on, I'm about ready to jump on the list to order a Bronco. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, man. One thing I was going to tell you is, you know, Willie, you asked about, you know, kind of great moments and also mistakes. Almost every project, even the ones that have mistakes, like let's say the F9 never makes it to the light of day. We did so much research on carbon fiber and we got so good at carbon that that carbon technology, we're going to transfer the truck. So now if you want to use all carbon fenders on it, that's going to be an option. We wouldn't have had that technology. We wouldn't have had it really dialed in the way it is now with our CNC mill and the way we're making parts. We wouldn't have had those partners. We wouldn't have had that laminate schedule because I had to have it on the F9. But now let's say the F9, it's going to work. It's going to be a good car. But if it doesn't, if it fails, that technology goes right over the truck. I've been in R&D for 20 plus years and I totally get it. 80% of what I've ever done is just mothballed, but we've taken the lessons learned and put it into, you know, little bits of here and there and, and you name it. Hey man, I put it words in my papa. There's, there's strength in struggle. Get comfortable. All right, man. Hey, uh, that is Dave Smith, Factory 5 Race Cars. You got to check him out online. Check out our show as well. It airs weekends on the Motor Trend Network. Check your local listings. Episodes also now streaming on Motor Trend Plus. Thanks to our guest, Dave Smith, Factory 5 Racing. You got to check out those cars. They're so sick. Um, one day he'll give us one for Christmas. Uh, that's Kevin Bird. I'm Willie B. Our producer, Scoop, executive producer, Bob Ecker. Yeah, and don't forget to check out our website, twoguysgarage.com. We're on social everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Two Guys Garage. Now, the podcast, the Two Guys Garage podcast, is a copyright 2022 Brenton Productions Incorporated. All rights reserved. Sissy, man, I'm going to get on one of them lists one day. <laughs> uh, those cars are sick, bro. Keep doing what you're doing, bro. We love it. Love it, love it. Love yeah, it. yeah. And, hey, everybody out there, check them out, man. Factory 5 Racing. Ah. Oh. You're going to drool over everything that they make, and, and maybe you'll walk away with uh, pick one out for yourself. Factory5.com. All right, guys. Hope you had fun. I know I did. I am jazzed up. We'll have to catch you on the next Two Guys Garage podcast. Hey.
See you guys. Two Guys Garage Podcast is produced by Britain Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.